grooming? Yes. Family photo shoots? Yeah. A legal advice, like going to a lawyer? Yes. Find out all the stuff you may have to start paying taxes on under a new Republican proposal. Tax reform is happening, friends. Welcome back to 45 Days, KUER's weekly legislative recap. I'm Julia Ritchie. And I'm Nicole Nixon. It's day 32 of the Utah legislative session. That means we're in the final stretch with less than two weeks to go. Yay! And this is how we know we're in the final stretch. Two big bills with wide-reaching implications dropped this week. One of them is that big tax reform package which you heard about. We've been expecting that one since the beginning of the session, and we'll talk about it a lot more later in the episode. But let's start with this other late bloomer bill that came out this week and actually surprised a lot of people when it dropped. It proposes some big changes to Utah's new inland port, which you might remember was one of the big brawls at the end of the session last year. Yeah, quick primer for those of you who've forgotten. Uh, With just a few days before the end of the session last year, lawmakers dropped a bill that would create an inland port on about 16,000 acres of land in northwest Salt Lake City by the airport. And an inland port is exactly what it sounds like, Nicole. It's a dry port, kind of like this gigantic commercial trading hub where we ship out things via planes, trains, and trucks. Mm -hmm. I did a story on it earlier, or what did it last year, actually. So elected officials have been pushing one for a while, saying it could be the largest economic development project in state history. Yes. So this bill that came out this week is being run by Francis Gibson. He's the House Majority Leader, and he's on the Inland Port Board. So what this bill would do is expand the powers and the reach of the 11-member Inland Port Authority Board. It would allow that board to create project areas outside the Inland Port boundaries with permission from the city that owns that land. This bill caught a lot of people off guard, namely lawmakers and leaders in Salt Lake City. Yeah, and they seemed especially unhappy with this little portion of the bill that would ban cities and counties from challenging pretty much anything the Inland Port decides Mm -hmm. to do. Salt Lake City Mayor Jackie Biscupsi called it a power grab and continues to criticize the Inland Port. And even Senator Derek Kitchen, who was on the city council last year, also raised concerns. He says he thought the city and the legislature had come to an understanding about this last summer. And hopefully we can find that same common ground that we achieved last year because we had established a solid relationship that I'd like to preserve. Currently in that bill, I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but there are some clear red flags for me as somebody who represents Salt Lake City. So stepping back a bit, if you remember last year, city leaders were not happy when the bill creating the inland port passed the legislature, and they tried to come to some sort of compromise after the session ended. Um, Biskupski ended up dropping out of those negotiations with Governor Herbert's office, and then the city council picked it up from there, and that led to this compromise that we have now. Uh, It was passed in a special session. Um, It doesn't really seem like things have changed much since then. Not at all. Yeah, I talked to City Councilman James Rogers, who's on the Inland Port Board. He told me that he's been having very productive conversations with Gibson since the bill came out. And Rogers sounded like he thought that they could reach an agreement. Um, When I asked him about the mayor's response, he said that she is completely irrelevant on the Hill. Yikes. Yeah, he said that the city council is the one that has good working relationships with Republican lawmakers. But we should note that this is sort of a negotiating tactic that we've seen uh, former Speaker of the House Greg Hughes use and now Francis Gibson using, that they go to sort of an extreme position, right? Which is to say that you can't sue us over anything we decide to do as a port board. Mm-hmm. And then they like, put something crazy in yeah, to, to bring people to, to the, the table. table. Exactly. Yeah. 
And this bill will definitely see some changes before the end of the session. Um, but kind of going back to the project areas outside the inland port boundaries, Gibson says what he wants is to create what he calls a hub and spoke model for the inland port, where resources from like rural parts of the state, say coal from central Utah, could be shipped to its destination directly from Carbon County, mm-hmm. as opposed to having to come up to Salt Lake City and then being shipped out. So Gibson says this would bring economic opportunity to those parts of the state and would cut back on pollution in the Salt Lake Valley, which is something that environmentalists have been especially concerned about. Right. And Councilman Rogers actually really likes the hub and spoke idea, too. He's been pushing for it. He's been saying he wants it to happen. And he says he's he's still talking with Gibson about the bill. So definitely we will see some new versions of this before the end of this session. Okay, Nicole, let's pivot for a minute to another perennially controversial issue that percolated this week. We call them ballot busters. Yes. As you all know, lawmakers have already changed two of the voter-approved ballot initiatives from last fall. The first, Proposition 2 for medical marijuana, was changed in a special session in December, just a month after it passed. Yeah, and Proposition 3 for Medicaid expansion was completely rewritten in weeks one and two of this session, which caused a lot of anger among its supporters. Yeah, and now lawmakers are looking at changing the rules for how ballot initiatives are run. They have a handful of bills that got their first hearing this week. Yeah, so I attended this hearing, uh, and the first one was from Representative Brad Daw, who's no friend of the ballot initiative. (laughs) His would delay implementation of successful ballot measures, and he tried this one last year, too, before any of these measures actually Uh passed. But essentially, his legislation would mean that any ballot measure without a tax increase, it would go into effect 60 days after the next legislative session. And for any ballot measure with a tax increase, it would go into effect the next fiscal year starting in July. So in other words, no ballot measure would go into effect until lawmakers have a chance to review or modify them. Exactly. Or change them or overhaul them mm-hmm. or delete them. Or <laughs> Naturally, this raised concern with the two Democrats on the House Government Operations Committee where this bill was heard and led to a pretty terse exchange between Representative Daw and Representatives Patrice Arendt and Jen Daly Provo. Um, how many times have you, are you aware of us having to be called into special session to deal with a proposition over the last few decades? Over a proposition? Once. Thank you. How many is it for other reasons, just off the top of your head? Uh, it's usually a couple times a year. Okay, thank you. I have to say that after watching the Michael Cohen hearings this week, I'm a pretty big fan of of a very sharp cross-examination, you know? (laughs) Yeah, there were two other bills in this committee, too. Uh, One would move up the deadlines for turning in ballot petitions, and it would also change the number of signatures required for a ballot measure to get on the ballot in the first place. Right. So this would mean that instead of a a statewide total of 113,000 signatures, which is what you need right now, uh, a ballot initiative would have to get more like 115,000. Why raise it though? So the current signature threshold, I know this is a little confusing, it's based off of 10% of voters who cast ballots in the last presidential election. This bill would change that threshold instead to be 8% of current active voters, which is just any voter who voted in the most recent election cycle or just registered to vote. So mm. the lieutenant governor's office is the one who's, who's pushing for this change. And he says that uh, it's a more stable measure of a population over a period of time and would more accurately reflect current voting patterns. Got it. 
So the last ballot buster is from Representative Norm Thurston, who was unhappy with what he called the games that dueling ballot initiatives, keep my voice and count my vote, played in trying to collect and certify and decertify signatures last year. Right. And without getting too into the weeds about this, uh, count my vote, which would have cemented the dual pathway to the ballot, primary ballot primary ballot and keep my voice uh we're kind of feuding last year mm-hmm. and count my vote appeared to have met the required number of signatures that 113,000 but then the keep my voice opponents kind of ran around and convinced a lot of voters to take their names off of the count my voice mm-hmm. count my vote petition i'm telling you it's, it's really confusing. confusing i know i keep messing it up uh but it it worked so they got enough voters to take their names off of uh, the CMV petition and mm-hmm. they kept it off the ballot right So Thurston's bill would require signature packets to be turned in on a rolling basis, and it would give anybody who signs a petition a 90-day window to remove their signature instead of having this, like, 30-day set window Mm -hmm. at the deadline. Right. And they'd also have to post the names of everyone who signs onto a petition online so that voters and ballot initiative organizers can see this updated tally. Seems kind of creepy. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people are going to be fans of that provision. (laughs) So Thurston says this would even the playing field for both sides of an initiative. And it should be noted that Thurston is also not a big fan of any of the ballot initiatives that passed last year. And I think that's why some critics find it so concerning that Republicans continue to tinker with the ballot initiative law. It's already really hugely cost prohibitive and tedious to to even pass one of these things. Yeah. And if these if these ballot busters pass it'll probably be even harder. Yeah. So before our listeners get too mad about this, uh, we should note that there are only two weeks left. So it's possible not every single one of these bills will get through, especially when Republican leaders are already pushing this big tax reform bill. I almost forgot about taxes, actually. Me too. So luckily, we talked to an expert this week and we'll hear more about what lawmakers are planning when we come back. Hey, 45 Days listeners, it's Nicole. If you're a fan of our podcast, or even if you're listening for the first time, you're someone who knows that coverage of state politics and local news is really valuable. You know how important it is for a news organization to cover every single day of this 45-day legislative session. KUER in 45 Days is here for you, but as an independent news organization, we rely on your financial support. You'll feel good and you can choose a thank you gift, but most importantly, you'll make this podcast even stronger. So go to KUER.org and click donate. And thank you. So we've been hearing about tax reform for a few years now, and this week lawmakers finally dropped their big tax reform package. The big centerpiece here is they want to lower the overall sales tax rate from 4.75% to 3.1%, and they want to trim the income tax rate too, which is at 4.95, and bring that down to 4.75%. So the day before the bill came out, Representative Robert Spenlove gave us a little preview in his office. I love that the guy working on tax reform is named Spindlove. Me too. Okay, so we thought it would be fun if we start out by us explaining to you what we think is going to happen on tax reform. Oh, really? Okay, that sounds <laughs> because good. Because it's been explained over and over why this is needed. Will you also explain the need and what it's doing? <laughs> yeah, and- well, we thought if we could do that, you could at least tell us where we're right and where we're wrong. Okay. And that would help you know what your struggle will be. Will you also give me the vote count? Yeah. Well, maybe (laughs) later. We'll work on that still. We're within the votes. Um, Okay. So my understanding 
from Governor Herbert and everybody else I've talked to um, is that we have a problem in the state, which is that um, we get revenue from income tax, property tax a little bit, right? And sales tax. Very good. I'm like nervous actually now. <laughs> I feel like I'm a professor again. Yes, yes, keep going. Um, and that the sales tax is what has been dragging us all down for the last couple of decades because people are not buying things from brick and mortar stores like they used to. So for the last several decades, the amount of money we've been bringing in through sales tax has been declining. And? And um, also Utah's economy <laughs> is changing, going. right? Um, we're not buying as many tangible goods. People are purchasing more, spending more money on services. You know, we're the, more of a white collar economy now. Right. So that's the reason why. So what you all are proposing or will be proposing is to tax a lot more things that are not currently taxed at the same time as lowering the overall rate at which we are being taxed, which could potentially result in a net sales tax cut. Very good. Can we do it? Yeah. Yay. <laughs> now, if you'll just speak to every legislator and explain okay. that to them. Um, but, I mean, you're, you're totally right. I mean, this is a result of changes in our fundamental economy. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the sales tax was, was first instituted in Utah in the year 1933. And, it, and it's still largely based on a 1933 economy. But now you look at our modern economy and it's totally changed where the, the, the majority of the purchases that people make now are services. Uh, I, I should say the majority of the economic activity is service-based, uh, especially in, in our state, it's becoming more so that way. But our tax system is still based on the purchase of goods. So, you know, if you go back, uh, what was it, 12 years ago in 2007, was the last time we had major tax reform. And that tax reform was focused on the income tax. And we really did. We fixed the income tax system so it's better now. But we didn't really touch the sales tax system. So now what we've seen is we have to come in and we have to do for the sales tax what we did for the in income tax 12 years ago. So let's get into what's actually in the bill. Um, first off, we've heard about the $225 million tax cut that uh, Governor Herbert has asked for and that leaders have asked for. Is that still part of the, the equation here? It's still part of the discussion, but what we want to do is get the bill out as quickly as possible. Um, believe it or not, that is one of the goals to get it out as soon as possible. Um, and then we can have more discussions. But uh, right now, the, the bill does not contain the $225 million tax cut. So what kinds of new taxes will we see in this bill? Um, could we just do, we thought about doing like a lightning round with you of things that are not currently being taxed yep. that will be taxed. Do you want to do the lightning bill. round? Yeah. yeah, let's do it. Okay. So haircuts. Yes. Will be taxed. They will be taxed. Okay. If, if it passes, we should say. Yes. We should always have that caveat, yes. right? Yes. <laughs> uh, legal advice, like going to a lawyer. Yes. Would be taxed. Okay. Limos and car rentals. Yes. Doctor visits. Not necessarily. That's an interesting one. Do you want me to do? Do you want to come back to it, or do you want me to explain it? Uh, you can go ahead and explain it. Yeah. Okay. So there's a few areas we wanted to cover. A, every major part of the economy. Healthcare is one of the tough ones because there is an affordability problem with healthcare. We don't want to be 
you know, if someone has to go in for brain surgery, we don't want to be then throwing on another tax on top of that. And and so and then there's also collection uh, issues. You know, when you go to the go to the hospital or the doctor, you have that laundry list of different services and how do you do all those separately? So what we did instead is we have a 1% what we call an excise tax on health insurance. Right. Uh, okay. Pet grooming. Yes. Family photo shoots. Yeah. People love that here. So that could actually get you in the that, most that trouble. That alone is going to kill the bill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. How about like landscaping? Landscaping. Like, oh yes, yes, yes. I was thinking of like landscaping on your computer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> landscaping is, is part of it. And then we've all, we've already talked about this a lot, but streaming services like Netflix Yes. Are going, okay, yeah. could could be taxed. What about cell phone bill? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if that's taxed already or not. I think it might already be taxed. Okay, yeah. well, there you go. If it's not, it's in. Okay. <laughs> One other area that you didn't ask about is cool. we're even going into real estate. Oh, which is a big deal here because there's so many deal. realtors and developers who well, are also members of the legislature. But the policy concern is mm-hmm. all I care about. Yeah. And the policy concern is we've got a housing affordability problem mm-hmm. and we don't want to be driving up housing prices, you know, and exacerbating that problem. And but at the same time, same with healthcare, we need to be going into every major industry. So what what we're really doing with this is we're doing a uh, it's called a transfer tax. So every time a home is transferred, there will be a small, it's literally a 0.075%. So it's like less than one-tenth of 1% of a tax on the sales price of that property. So will this feel like a tax cut to average Utahns? Um, what will that impact be? Because you're not, you're taxing a lot more things, even though the entire rate is going down and it's revenue neutral. Yep. So uh, one of the things we know is that uh, it tends to be higher income uh, families and indi- uh, and individuals that use services. And so uh, one of the benefits to this is, like I said, that, that uh, regressivity. This will make our tax system more progressive. So for, uh, and what we did a little analysis on the, the typical family in Utah. Uh, and when, when you say typical, there's a technical word, you know, it's the median, right? So the median age in Utah is 31. The median household size, believe it or not, is three. So two adults and one wow. child. I know, isn't that crazy? <laughs> um, which is a lot bigger than the rest of the country. Um, and the median income, median household income in Utah is $65,000. So we said, okay, let's model that typical family. And what we found is that that typical family will see their taxes go down by $634 as a result of this. Sales tax. For uh, all. All that because that there's income. that little re, uh, reduction on the income tax okay. too, but the the net benefit to that typical family is over six hundred dollars. I'm just curious if the food tax, if that is part of this proposal. It's not right, not specifically right now. I mean, I guess the short answer is we're not touching the food tax right now. Okay. So either it's been a, either increasing or it's decreasing. been a political non-starter for some time. So yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, we feel like there's other ways to try to accomplish the same objectives. So, but then again. There's still two and a half <laughs> weeks left to go. So you never How know How many ways to skin a cat, right? That brings us to our last our question. question. Okay. Does the legislature have the political will to do tax reform, especially after a rather bruising fight over Medicaid earlier in the session? What I can tell you is this continues to be the number one priority for the governor, the Speaker of the House, and the President of the Senate. They are 100% on board. We're working together and and we are 
we will make this happen. It will happen. Wow, he's, he's I've never seen anyone so sure. <laughs> Thank you, Representative Spinlove. Thank you. Thanks. Hey, it's Julia Ritchie from 45 Days. Every week, Nicole Nixon and I break down the latest news and bills coming out of the Utah legislative session. And then we try to predict what's going to happen in the coming week. If you enjoy the podcast, you should sign up for the 45 Days newsletter. It's like our show, except it's an email and you read it. Let us send you email. Sign up at 45days.org. Nicole, this year we're seeing some proposals to change traffic laws, and a few of them stirred up some passionate debate this week. Yeah, the first was a bill from Representative Ken Ivory that would allow vehicles to run a red light in the event that the intersection is clear and the driver waits at least 90 seconds. To be clear, this wouldn't keep you from getting a ticket necessarily, but it would give you what they call an affirmative defense in traffic court. And, you know, we've all been there late at night or early in the morning Mm -hmm. waiting for the light to change for what feels like forever. It's true. And what stood out to me, though, was this very poetic tangent by a rural legislator named Representative Scott Chu, who owns a ranch near Dinosaur National Monument. I always point that out when I And he has this great mustache. He has an amazing mustache. And he also had a tiger tie. (laughs) I know a lot about this guy for some reason. He's opposed to this bill and can't understand why people are always in such a hurry. He said we should all stop and smell the roses or listen to the meadowlark. It has a beautiful song. Some of you say you know what that song sounds like. And, um, and, uh, but some of you say, in fact, the majority of you say you wouldn't recognize it if you do that. But I would venture to say that uh, a lot of us here don't realize that the metal arc is one of the phenomenons of nature. And uh, if we had time and sat and sitting at a, a light, you could roll your window down and listen. You might understand that, that um, like the hoot of an owl, it doesn't echo, and the flight of a bumblebee that nobody can explain why it can fly, because aerodynamically it's not supposed to. The metal arc has a, um, a voice that, that the Doppler effect doesn't have any, any, um, any effect on. And I just bring that up about that we ought to try to to stop and smell the roses or maybe the cut alfalfa or the fresh fallen rain and not be quite so concerned about hurrying through a red light, which might... That was actually beautiful. <laughs> but were, were they actually whistling on the house floor there? Yeah, they were. That's why I think it was it was kind of one of those amazing, like, is he really just stream of consciousness? You're like, sort is of? this really all happening right Yeah, now? it's all happening. <laughs> I have to admit, though, Chu does have a point about being in a hurry. Yeah. Uh, the House still passed Ivory's red light bill, though, just barely with a vote of 39 to 34. That leads us to another bill, though, that has a much different fate less than 20 minutes after Ivory's bill got the green light. Representative Carol Moss suffered a narrow defeat with a bill penalizing talking on cell phones while driving. So why will it improve driver safety to require drivers to talk hands-free only? Studies have shown that people change behavior when we have well-crafted laws, strict enforcement, and provide good public education. Again, this is the history of seatbelt use. Moss's bill would have still allowed you to talk on a Bluetooth earpiece or a dashboard system or a speakerphone. You just wouldn't be able to hold the phone. And she pointed to reams of research showing that in states with similar laws, crashes have decreased. Her point was that Utah's laws are 
kind of unenforceable right now. It's actually against the law to hold a phone or text while driving, but, and here's the big but, you can only be ticketed for it after being pulled over for another moving vehicle violation. So that's what highway patrol officers were telling her is like we can't really pull someone over because we saw them texting we we can't you have to pull them over for a light out or running a red light or something like that and then you can get cited for both things right and so moss says because uh no one's being ticketed for these offenses the number of crashes involving a phone has increased for something like six straight years in utah and most of the objections came from more libertarian leaning members who say that they don't think this bill would make that big of a difference and it would just mean more fines for people this was a big blow to representative boss who's brought this up for several years now she says texting and driving poses as big of a threat to road safety as alcohol and she really wants the state to get serious about this especially after lowering its DUI limit with the main argument of public safety last year. Moss had another bill this week that died in a Senate committee. It would have allowed bikes to roll through red lights and stop signs. So Utah's Republican majority is sending really conflicting messages this week about road safety. Yes to cars running red lights. No to bicycles running red lights. Also no to seatbelts on buses, which we didn't even tell you about that one, but it's not happening. And a big fat no to hands-free cell phone use. On the plus side, a bill to allow autonomous vehicles is close to passing both chambers. So maybe we won't even have to worry about terrible Utah drivers for that much longer. Seriously, they're the worst, though. And I've lived in like five states. I'm worried I might actually be one because I've only ever lived in Utah. You know, Nicole, I'm not going to say anything, (laughs) but there are Lime and Bird scooters out there. Yes. Love those things. 45 Days is a production of KUER News. This episode was produced by Roddy Nickpour with original music by David Whited. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter going out every Monday. To do that and to find more local news and legislative coverage, visit our website at KUER.org. And if you have a terrible driving story, please send it to me so I don't feel alone. We have an email now at 45 days at KUER.org. And you can always find us on social media too. I'm at Julia Ritchie, R-I-T-C-H-E-Y. And I am at underscore N-I-X-O. See you next week.